Hello and welcome to Resonant Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters that are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Will Lynch, and I'm the Associate Editor at Resonant Advisor. Few DJs have as much history as Helmut Geyer, aka DJ Hell. The Munich native started collecting records in the late 70s and DJing in the 80s. He went clubbing in West Berlin well before the wall came down, and played at clubs like Eberk in the original Trezor just as the city's techno scene was being born. In the 90s, he launched his iconic label, International DJ Gigolo Records, and played a key role in popularizing Electro Clash. Over the years, he shared the studio with everyone from P. Diddy to Brian Ferry. This month, just before Trezor released his career-spanning Kern mix, Hell stopped by Ari's Berlin office for a trip down memory lane. So um, it's fashion week. Yep. Um, you've been pretty busy, right? Yeah, that week um, it's kind of uh, even two parties at one day. I played Harper's Bazaar yesterday at the beautiful villa at Tea Garden. Um, there was more like speeches going on and, and official people from the uh, from the magazine, and they kind of started next year. I heard. A first German issue, and then I played a fashion video award party. I was also in the jury uh, voting for the best videos. And um, Wednesday I played uh, uh, Patrick Moore. He's a, a designer from Munich, moved to Berlin. And tonight I'm playing uh, with DJ Chaos in a, in a small club called uh, Chalet in Kreuzberg. And then I go to Spain on Saturday and. Uh, yeah, the day before I played in uh, Ibiza at Pacha, it's a, a Solomon night, he called it Solomon plus one and I was the plus one DJ and it was an amazing night on Sunday, so that, that this week is pretty, maybe the the most busiest week of the year. And Tuesday I played Privilege, <laughs> I forgot that. So I think it's eight or nine parties in a week. So. And a lot of glitzy parties. No, you don't. Some are glitzy, or how you call it, or some are uh, spectacular, like the Sol Solomon night. And yesterday I played at Arena Club, and it was three to six o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and it's a, a weekly day, even during the fashion week. I mean, it w there was still people, but uh, it was not a, a glitzy one. But it, I, I liked it. I enjoyed it, and the people liked it as well. Uh, what's your connection to the fashion world? Um. I was always involved in the fashion world already in the early techno days and I remember in the 90s, especially in Berlin, it was kind of strong um, anti-fashion world, you know, there was no fashion week in Berlin and, and uh, a lot of people wear military clothes uh, in, into, from the techno and house scene. They say it's for the fight in, in the city, you know. It was more like a rough time here in the early 90s. And uh, we were wearing workwear, Carhartt. I mean, it's still very popular. But it was the first time the Carhartt uh, jumped over to um, Europe. And we were, uh, we were into, like, uh, workwear, Red Wings shoes, and uh, mixed with military clothes and uh, secondhand clothes. 70s secondhand stuff. So that was the, the style in, in, inside the clubs, you know. But I was already very interested in, in um, great fashion and great um, tailoring. And um, I was always inspired by this kind of people. And of course, this is really connected with the music and techno world. Not techno world, but with the music world. There's, I always said, uh, like Barry Manilow, uh, music and fashion was always the passion not only in Rio, so I think all around the world. And I think when I look back, when it was not allowed to wear something uh, extraordinary, but I, I, when you're DJing, but I think these days more more people are into the fashion world. And I also see myself as an artist uh, representing something on, on, a, on a tour or on a festival or uh, you should not wear the same clothes on the traveling uh, on your 
uh, dinner and then at your performance and the next day you wear the same clothes as going back wherever you come from. So, I mean, we with Chigolo, you know, we were always into fashion with people like Fisher Spooner and um, a lot of other bands. But uh, there was fu one funny quote from a, a band. They were called the Fat Truckers. And uh, it was kind of electronic punk. They were from London. And I, I, they came, I, we had a Chigolo night here during the Love Parade. They were performing live and I saw them coming from the airport went to the hotel, go to dinner, performing and leaving. And they had the same shirt, shoes and t-shirt for two days. And I said, why you don't think about something cool wearing or something what fits with your music when you're performing, you know? And they said a funny thing. They said, oh, we are not Fisher Spooner, you know? So I got it, you know, but that brings it to the point, you know, they don't want to get dressed up. They just like more lazy guys and uh, want to uh, travel uh, comfortable as much as possible or perform comfortable. So they come with one t-shirt and one jeans and one pair of shoes. It seems like that strikes you as like a missed opportunity or something. Yeah, you should take care, you know, you should um, think about when you perform and uh, not a dress or something, but you should, you know, this reflects your personality, I think. And, um, to me, it was always a very natural and regular thing, being connected with the fashion world. And uh, finally, I did shows with uh, uh, Karl Lagerfeld and uh, I did shows with uh, Versace in Milano. And there was a lot of other people asked me for producing their show music and uh, even Preta Porter, Preta Porter music. And uh, I thought, why not bringing some dirty old school Chicago acid into into Versace, you know, and I mean, they liked it. I was surprised and, uh, you know, I didn't change my musical style or my ideas behind or concept behind my music and, and, and me as an artist. So I thought, why not bringing something special into this world, you know, and um, it's always very inspiring work with people from the fashion world because they're very well organized and really on a top level, you know, you can't do anything wrong because shortly before the show it needs to be perfect and in time and then when the show is going on there's no way back you know so working with all these people is really inspiring and um, I love to do it is that the way you operate you know the um, that that attention to detail and making sure everything's right like is, is that the is that the way you operate as an artist I always try to work on that level because I'm I think after 30 years I have some experience traveling doing shows doing something unexpected not following the rules you know create your own rules and uh, do it on a high professional level and uh, I don't think they go in another way you know I'm, I was always following my own rules and and tried to um, motivate people around me and um, go the same way um, so let's talk about your mix for a second yeah. Kern um, I was thinking sort of the concept of this mix series is um, to tell your own story through mm -hmm. the mix or to kind of dig through your old records. Um, you must have a pretty astounding record collection at this point. So, I mean, what was the process like of, you know, digging through your old stuff for the mix? How did that actually work? Yeah, I understand the concept from the first one uh, went really well with DJ Deep that he combined Chicago, Detroit, old school, but also the new school from that kind of area and also what's going on here in Europe. Um, and it's also based on house concepts and on um, newer kind of techno concepts. And also they want, want to have some unreleased material. So I was happy that Dan Bell um, just offered me an unreleased version from the early 90s. I mean, that's amazing. And I did a lot of I wouldn't say edits. I did a lot of totally new mixes of, of songs I found in my collection. And uh, I think I, I went through the whole collection from from buying and collecting records over 30 years. It was took me some days. And um, I listened to a lot of stuff. And, and finally, that's the best I have. <laughs> <laughs> no, I found a lot of records. I didn't even know I, I still own it, you know. And the, the the bad thing is I have no order in my uh, collection. I have the same IKEA kind of 
The XPD. Yeah, like all DJs have that. And I have a lot of them. So there's, there's promos, old, new material. It's pretty mixed up. And uh, like years ago, I start throwing away the covers. So I have only the in, inside sleeve and the vinyl, you know. So it took me a while. And I found a lot of records that touched me already in the early 80s. Let's say early 90s, not the 80s. There's some 80s stuff, but it's like 90s stuff where this music was produced mainly in the States, Chicago and Detroit and New York. And uh, I remember the early 90s when in Germany we were thinking about uh, the teachers and the producers, how they made this kick so strong or what is why, why does this hi-hat sound like that? And, how, you know, we didn't know that a 303 should be used for an acid track, you know, and if some people say if it's not a, a original Roland 303, it's not an acid track, you know, maybe sounds like that. So it's a lot, a lot of stories behind every record. And um, um, in 1991, the Sherman scene was starting coming up, rave scene and, and a club. It was more like a club scene because there was no festivals. So the producers start getting into the secrets of 808, 909, 303, you know, 101, and how to create this special sound and, and how to manipulate the machines. So um, I, th I thought when I, when I went to this or collecting best um, music and stuff, uh, I had at home, it, it all comes from the States. And um, it's, you know, you forgot about the things because now you think it's all made in Berlin. I mean, you know, basically because everybody's living here and uh, it's very focused on Berlin and... Uh, and when you live here and, and work here, you think this is the center of the world. But uh, if you go back like 20 years, it's it was Chicago, Detroit, and New York completely. When you think about house music, um, it's amazing what producers and DJ already did in 90, 91, 92. And, and that was maybe the main thing I realized that um, uh, they were such on a high level already and, and, and doing stuff that's really sounding modern today so okay one example i found this odori record i i, I was searching for 20 years and i uh, found out that it was produced in um, new york and uh, he was a famous dj there he played at the club called uh, Danceteria. and um, i knew this record is something really extraordinary and outstanding and and I, I played it already in 91 in, in, in the clubs here in Germany. And uh, later on, I found out when I asked about the rights, because I thought I'm going to re-release it on Gigolo, because it's such an amazing record. It, uh, I got in contact with the owner of the rights in New York. And uh, two weeks later, he sent an email and said he has a, like a, a bad news. The producer died. You know, and I was I was thinking this is this is like really touching story because I was searching for that record over 20 years and then I found him and two weeks later he died in Mexico. He was living in Mexico and the, another amazing story is he was the first producer of the first Madonna single called Everybody. He was boyfriend of Madonna as well. You, you, there's pictures uh, all over and it was uh, big news in the press in, in New York and Madonna even said something about it but he was the first guy uh, uh, founded Madonna, produced her and played it in the clubs and on the radio so I mean it's an amazing story and I till now today I don't know what it tells me you know I have to find out because I'm working on a remix of this song and it's the first song on the compilation mm -hmm. and uh, the song is called Movements 124 and on the B side it's 428 or something it's a it's a outstanding masterpiece of twenty music of African voodoo techno. I don't want to say mad beautiful. It's like um, one of the most beautiful records I have in my collection. And so I'm in contact with the owners in New York, and they or asked yesterday if I'm ready with the remixes. I'm not because it's like I try to understand the concept from this. DJ and producer, why he did it in that way and why it sounded till now so differently and so so touchy, you know, it's so emotional. And um, 
I'm happy that I found the record. It's the original copy, and uh, I'm uh, very sorry that he he died in Mexico. And um, the story with Madonna and this, you know, he was famous DJ, and I mean, it's an endless story, and it's it's um, very touchy to me because this record influenced me in big time, and uh, now I'm retouching it, and um, I hope. Uh, it's it's gonna work out well. So this it's just one story. I, I we could sit for another three hours to tell stories about every record I found and and you remember pictures what record shop he bought, bought it in Chicago or maybe Japan maybe London and um, it's all original copies and most of the labels are not existing. But um, a big thanks to Tresor and Paolo who was a helping hand on, on getting the rights for most of the tracks. I think from my first track listing, there's only one track missing. Wow. And it's okay. It was Claude Young. And um, it's a very old record from Detroit. It's called Planet. Uh, um, there is no planet Earth. Brother from another planet. And it's amazing techno record. Really analog, hardcore sounding. And he said, yes, um, let's do it. And then he said, oh, maybe I'm, I'm not into it. And at the end, he said, I don't want to be on a compilation. And the mix was already done. So sorry, Claude. Uh, I know him from back in the days, you know, and uh, I would be happy to have this special record on, on the mix. But that was the only one not not getting the only only track. I'm not getting the rights on it. But uh, so I'm pretty happy about the mix down and everything. Yeah, and you've done a ton of um, mix CDs over the years. Um, I mean, was it always, has it changed, like how hard it is to license the tracks or has, has making a mix CD, you know, is it, is it different now than it was, say, back in the day? I think it's different, but I think it, I have to credit Paolo. <laughs> he made it happen, you know. I know back in the days, people were asking for, for crazy advances and, and uh, you know, lawyers talk and uh, rights talk and, not exclusive talks and to me it seems to be easier these days you know but when i think about the 90s there was okay i think i sent my first email in 92 or 93 but there was no other people to sending back an answer you know because think about there was no i was internet but not like today so you had to call the people you had to send a fax you have to they need to send it back then they sent a dot cassette or maybe some other okay dot or maybe they send a record and from that re original record you made another copy for using it in the mix or uh, back in the days most of the compilation i mixed on a vinyl setup inside the club like real real to real like one to one like mixing it and when you did a when it was something was not perfect and you were already nearly the end, you start from the beginning. And um, that was like real DJ mixing. Nowadays you use programs, whatever you like. And um, so it's, I think it's a big difference. But uh, on the musical side and the musical um, influences, I think if you put all the compilations I did, and put everything together, you can see a strong guideline or a strong um, personality, mm. maybe, yeah. Yeah, and I read that you said that you think the the Kern mix is actually kind of in some way similar to um, the X Mix Five uh, Wild Style. Is that true? I could use some of the X Mix Wild Style tracks into Kern, but uh, I already touched that. So there was some future tracks, you know, and some um, old Chicago tracks as well. Um, there was, I think, '95, and the concept was pretty much special and uh, extraordinary at that time. Uh, producing videos, uh, special made videos for uh, every track and release a VHS video cassette on the market in the record shop for the compilation. Plus you got a CD with the DJ mix and then you have to buy a VHS. A, v a VHS. V sorry, a VHS cas uh, uh, video cassette and put it into your video recorder. That was 95. Uh, people i think right now i don't think about it you know so but uh yeah there was musical wise there was some connection already yeah yeah you can watch the whole uh you, you can watch that whole video on youtube it's kind of funny I just yeah yeah it today. so they they were nominating great visual artists for uh for every track and then it, they did a like um 90 minutes video looping movie 
whatever and it was played in the clubs and uh, at that time it was pretty much extraordinary yeah and um i mean you started collecting records probably in the late 70s yeah late 70s um what kind of you know how how did you get the bug what what turned you on to music in such a big way i was always fascinated and really thrilled about new music and new genres and i was lucky enough to be old enough to understand when punk music was jumping out of let's say England and uh, and um, it was music never heard before and I was already kind of teenager be fascinated by the music and I was old enough to understand the first hip-hop and um, this kind of beat creation a bambada New York style and DJ'd already then, and um, I was old enough to uh, understand the first electro movement, and then early mid '80s house kind of out of disco, you know, funk and funk music. The first, like let's say, JM Silk stuff, and I already played it in the club, and uh, you know, so I think I'm lucky one to to get all these movements and new um, new kind of music already. Uh, developed it as a DJ and played it in the clubs and, and were, you know, influenced by the music and very, I mean, it's basically my life, you know. And um, so I was always searching for the new stuff, even hard to get stuff, for old stuff, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm like a mania collector, you know, and uh, it, was, it was coming to a point where there was no, nothing left for you know collecting labels from the first release to the to the uh, the newest ones and so i i found the first uh, techno record in detroit called Sharivari, and uh, i think it was was it 80s i think mid 80s there was some original copies and there were a group of people doing parties in their neighborhood called Sharivari, and then they said oh we want to have our own kind of music to together with these parties because they were really very successful so these two guys produced a, a song called charivari and put it on a 12 inch and it went really popular played in the radio there sold thousands of copies but it never jumped over to germany that day or europe because we don't had like a direct distribution so this was a detroit phenomenon and uh and i get together with the people from Shariwari, re-released it, did some remixes on Chigolo and went on tour with the guys in Europe in the 90s. And I was, I'm really, I was not thinking about to record their live set. I mean, I could, re if I could release that now, because I remember when they were, we were touring here, there were two guys looking like, dressed like the 80s, fascinated by European culture, never been here. And we were touring all over Europe and they played a, a totally live set, Shariwari tracks that I never heard again. And it was amazing and I was, I'm really not happy about it and not recording it because I never met the guys again. They went back to Detroit and they have families and their regular job, but they were the real original creators before Derek Juan and, you know, all these other guys. And, and um, yeah, they did this great tour and a one hour live show singing and dancing and playing live so um, you know so, there's so, so many stories about uh, all this music and um, I was always fascinated by the stories behind it I was always interested meet the people get information out of the original people you know get all the stories and and even so I went on a level where it was pretty much uh, perfect collection, you know, so I, I start, okay, I start collecting cassettes from DJ mixes from Ron Hardy from early 80s, you know, legendary DJ from Chicago and he did special edits for music that he he only played at the warehouse in Chicago. So there was tapes around and I get a copy of a copy of a copy of a, cas a metal cassette, you know, and then I start cutting out tracks from that, uh, remastered it and put it on dub plates, you know, for me playing it in the clubs. I still have it at home. There's some really crazy music on it. And uh, I think this is maybe pretty much the craziest level you can jump on if you 
cut down cassettes, you know, put it on digital, remaster it, and then put it on a dub plate. I mean, nowadays you don't have to put it on a dub plate, but that was the level I reached pretty much crazy. So I'm still collecting, but not like like crazy. I think I put all my DJ money, everything I earned as a DJ, put always into into newest records. And um, okay, here's the real truth. Back in the in the 80s, it was like, should I get some buy some food? You know, or should I get the newest twelve inch? And you know the answer. Yeah, you kind of mentioned it, but um, I understand that you're kind of a completist. Like you, yeah. you will seek out every single release from a label that you yeah. like. Why do you think you have that um, like compulsion? That kind of goes beyond you know having I mean, enough records to, to play. To every compilation I did, everything I produced, I always th- said I want to do it my way. And I want to do the best compilation possible, not just another one. You know, that doesn't interest me. I want to do the best one, you know. And so I don't know how people's going to like the mix or maybe not digging it because it's a lot of old material there. But uh, I think a lot of people will maybe buy it and like it and uh, be influenced by it and um, get the story of the Odori record, listen to Dan Bell, unreleased material and... um, you know, seeing uh, all this innovative music brought together in a in a in a solid mix, and um, you know, the, it just interests me to do the best possible, not not just something that maybe works in a club or maybe is a good mix for the summer. It should be a statement, of course. Um, so when you were first DJing, you said it was. Um in the late 70s you're mm-hmm. already playing in clubs mm-hmm. was it it was in munich outside munich yeah. yeah i mean what kind of music were you playing what, what were the clubs like like you know what was this what was the scene like pre house and techno i wouldn't call it a scene we were fed up with the music what was played in the club there um they were basically on beatles and um fleetwood mac and um doors and um i mean till now i love that music but that that time we were against it because there was a new revolution coming out called punk music and uh, there was bands like the undertones and uh, ramones and uh, early damned whatever coming out of england and uh, i was pretty much really shocked by that music and we thought it's time to play it in the club so if nobody's doing it i'm gonna do it you know so and then it went it went into the so-called German wave, electronic new wave, it called Deutsche Welle. And uh, suddenly uh, we had electronic m- punk new wave music with German vocals. It was a huge revolution and uh, it was a huge scene here in, in all the cities in um, Germany. And Berlin was one of the mecca already of bands like Einstürzen Neubauten and Tödliche Doris. And they they did like new things, really kind of experimenting and uh, with electronic music and noise. That was um, a very strong movement, and uh, it was the first time that that we found a German identity with the lyrics and and you know create our own sound. And uh, I was really influenced by bands like Duff. I mean, Kraftwerk was there, but it was not into a way for a Deutsche Welle. A movement. So there was a lot of bands like Duff and the uh, Krups and Einstürz and Neubauten, all German names, upwards, more more like punk, but they mixed up electronic with uh, punk music. So I did some compilation for that as well called New Deutsch. Mm-hmm. It's on Chigilu, you can check it out. So um, yeah, I was, I was happy to see all the bands live on concert but back in the days you didn't went to a nightclub you went to the concerts there was some DJs playing that music but more powerful was like going to festivals and and concerts and see the bands live there was already huge scene here in Berlin but there was like the dark area of Berlin when the wall was still around and uh, it was pretty much a totally different place you wouldn't believe this area here in the early 80s um that was why what was it like it was dark dirty and um depressing i think this was the east part here we were not allowed i mean you were allowed to come here for 24 hours 
and um but it was just strange you if you i mean you were even allowed to talk to the people but there were germans as well but uh it, i went there once or twice to the east part but it, it was it was kind of movie like george orwell 1984 everybody seemed to be in a different world and mindset and brainwashed and you know so i mean it was interesting to see i was i was on one side shocked by it but on the other side totally fascinated uh by this two parts of berlin so it was it was it was very interesting amazing to see um what's going on on the other side of the wall so would you come to berlin just um like to go to concerts and parties and stuff like that and buy records of course i mean we slept in in squatted houses or they were even not squatted they were just empty and we came here with a sleeping bag with the car and go to the autobahn to the east part of germany and um, we had a sleeping bag and no money and we went to the channel club and other bars and live concerts yeah and uh, get through record shops of course because there was some maybe unusual new bands of berlin or u.s imports and uh they were quite good connected here already so and it was an amazing city it was a crazy nightlife not like now but uh there was a lot of big punk and new wave and deutsche welle movement here in uh, in berlin i was totally fascinated there was no other level like that in germany it was really amazing powerful and let's say crazy were you picking up gigs in berlin that time hmm. no 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 i was really teaching but uh they were not looking for a munich dj <laughs> that time i think there was a real clash between munich and berlin it was not i mean a lot of people people from bavaria moved to berlin that time and were fascinated by the city and the power already uh of the city but um I didn't play here. I think my first gig was in at Tresor Records in the early 90s. I was on tour with a band called uh, Nightmares on Wax and they were doing techno music and on Warp Records that time, like so-called bleep kind of techno music. And uh, they had a new album and a top 10 single in the UK. So they said, let's jump over to Germany. And I was even, I was the tour DJ and the driver of the bus and I was just, a two or three guys of Nightmares on Wax and a tour manager and we were playing in Hamburg, Munich, Berlin, Cologne, some gigs and I was I think it was my first techno DJ gig in Berlin and it was maybe 91 and and uh, even that was not easy because the the, the resident DJs of Tresor said uh, we don't want anybody outside of Berlin playing in, in our club. Why? Why do, why did they have that attitude? Uh, what's okay let's go back it was djs like rock dj rock dj tanith and uh, johnson and they said this is our movement maybe and uh, this is already music coming out of berlin and uh, we connected with the detroit scene and we really don't want to bring anybody in there we don't know if there is somebody coming you need to prove it so i proved it and from that night on, I become really good friends with everybody because I proved it that I'm I'm able to do a proper techno set. But that time there was not a lot of techno records on the market, you know, that fits in a Tresor uh, club concept. So I think I proved it and I become really good friends with them. And um, so it could go the other way around that they, if they wouldn't like it, they maybe stop me, you know, playing. It would be a, a possible chance yeah, that they say this doesn't fit in our Tresor club and uh, this DJ needs to stop now. So, But I I, I think I, I, I did a good job and I, pre I played pretty well And uh, because I was loaded with a lot of stuff they maybe don't know because I, I was shopping in London in the record shops and I had a lot of new releases that maybe they don't have. So I was prepared. Do you remember um, your DJ set from that night? The party was crazy because they were a top 10 act from the UK and everybody loved Nightmares on Wax because they had some really groundbreaking revolutionary tunes out on the market and they were like new and hot and uh, the whole scene was there and then me DJing 
It was an amazing night. It was brutal loud sound system, dark stroboscope light and fog all over. I couldn't see much of the people because it was always dark. And you couldn't even talk because you would not understand anybody. It was a, the original Tresor basement down in this uh, old bank Tresor kind of situation. It was pretty amazing. I never saw like something like that before in my world, in my whole life. So I was pretty much thrilled and influenced by 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 that night, and I I thought I want to have that again. Maybe I moved to Berlin, and two two years later I was moving to Berlin. You played at Ewerk around that time too, right? Ewerk and Planet, yeah. yeah. What were those clubs like? I think this was the original and um, blueprint for everything that followed after that, because they were using places where. There was even unclear ownership of the building. They just used that empty space because Berlin was built back in the days for around 5,000 people maybe. And there was 2 million or 3 million people living there. So there was so many empty spaces around the 90s. And especially where Ewag Planet and Tresort was in one area in, in Mitte here. And uh, it was a quite dark and, and um, rough area. But the night, nightclubs Planet and Ework was already made on a on a highly professional level and and um, inviting international DJs and and pretty much uh, built a strong sound of Berlin that time and Tresor was standing for hard techno from Detroit and um, Ework was standing let's call it the Berlin House. And it was a DJ, I always say it again and again, It was he was called Dr. Motte, later on famous becoming the founder and creator of Love Parade. But he was playing US house only, hard to get stuff from record labels like Saber, Saber Records and Strictly Rhythm was even, I think, not existing, but really like deep, original deep house records also with... Um, kind of Chicago influence, but that was that was the sound of Berlin. It was based on house music, already kind of minimal period, but that was the early 90s, you know, so this is 20 years ago, and um, there was already the gay scene involved in that, and as you can read now in all these books are published, the East scene, when the war, you know, when East and West came to bear, together, the East people jumped over to Berlin and they made the scene happening here and it was it was just like a very amazing time and there was a really strong scene going to Planet and Ework every weekend and it was a very closed scene I don't know how how many people were involved maybe two three thousand people and then it became world famous quickly because this was no other club like Planet and Ework and I think this is where the house and techno culture starts here in Berlin, and Dr. Motte was the main DJ. Everybody was influenced by him. He played like amazing sets, hours and hours to the morning hours. And then there was already the first start of after hours here in Berlin, in into clubs and uh, Tresor, and and people didn't know what's an after hour. What do you mean, like after hour? What 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 is that? You know why? You know because clubs regularly that time in Germany stop it three or four o'clock and suddenly there was no limitation you go to six or seven club and then planet and e-work goes to nine or ten or next day midday so because people really were so into that music it was really kind of religion for everybody and like a very strong movement and um, you know i i know people they from the new scene they say oh no don't talk about the planet and e-work all the time you know i was not there i don't know what What's that influence? I was too young. I was even not born, whatever, you know. So, but there was, to me, I was dancing for eight hours in, into Ewer to music from Johnson or Terrible or Disco or Motte or Rock or some, yeah, it was based on Berlin DJs. They were not, sometimes they were international DJs, but it was based on a Berlin house music uh, scene, pretty, pretty strong and pretty amazing. Yeah, so I guess all right. So if you played your first club or played your first gig in Berlin sometime in you know Trezor sometime in the early '90s, um, mm-hmm. 
uh, International DJ Gigolos started not very long after that, right? It was 96, like, 97, yeah. Yeah. So what happened in between? Like how, you know, how did you um, turn into, you know, like a professional was, DJ, label curator? I always had concepts for my own songs and producing and write ideas down and, and thinking about how, how this is going to be the next step in my career. So in 92, I, uh, I did a record called My Definition of House Music. And um, I think that brought me uh, into the, onto the map and into the scene and, and, and uh, already known as a producer and um, helped me going on on a, on a worldwide career. And um, it was pretty much tough because that record was a good seller as well. And, uh, you know, you, you will be... Uh, everybody will uh, watch what's going on on the next level. And so I started on a pretty high level with the first record. And uh, and then I was I was not interested in, in this house music thing for the moment. I thought I want to do some acid stuff now, but more like faster and, and, and stronger because there was some really kind of rough acid uh, movement at that time. So... Um, I went into that, so I was producing and producing my first album, and um, then I got offered um, an A&R manager job from a from a big company in Frankfurt. They uh, were looking for a, ma- uh, a manager, so they asked me to do it, and I had no experience into that world. I was just a producer and DJ, so I said, "Okay, f- why not trying that? Get into the." behind the table get into the music world with the lawyers with the contracts with you know seeing how this works doing videos and uh, I worked uh, with bands like Snap or Dr. Alburn and stuff like that but I I really was not touched by the music I like Snap a lot because they did a lot of like Rhythm is a Dancer and stuff like that I I liked their music and it was it was very well produced but uh, I thought why not bringing bands like Orb to the German market because when they released the album in the UK it went on number one the first day you know so I thought why not bring you some chill out music and Orb music to Germany and uh, that was my I think one of my first signings for that label but it it didn't went into the charts so I also signed uh, Blake Baxter that time because he had a project with Moritz von Oswald Mm -hmm. And uh, I signed that stuff, and I also signed Felix. Uh, it was a number one record in um, in the UK, and I think it went number two in Germany. But after a while, I stopped working there. I mean, I was not successful enough for their understanding, so they forced me to stop. I was happy to stop, and then I thought it was like '94 before I moved to New York. I thought. I know how this music world, the music business works and I will not go in there again. You know, I don't want to, this is not my world. I want to be a DJ and producer and maybe not running your own label, not be involved in the, in any kind of music business. But it was that time. So I changed my mind in 96 and 97 because uh, it was time to do something different and uh, because techno and Especially techno music was was into going into in, into a direction I was not totally agree with that. So I thought let's bring some different aspect to electronic music. So I started Gigolo and and um, signed people like Jeff Mills, Zombie Nation, Christopher Chast, and uh, people from Boston. He did a song called save the planet kill yourself um and weird records i liked out of my collection and re-released it and some electro so suddenly miss kitten and the hacker tiger vitalik and uh, you know till now uh, after 300 releases and, and and 15 years running the label um i see things differently and um i'm happy that i i decide to jump into the music business as well and, and find new artists, um, developing new movements, maybe be also responsible for um, a movement called Electro Clash. <laughs> you know, so I was even 
giving the name to this um, movement, you know, it was based on my ideas. And um, I remember this was jumping into the spotlight of the music world, fashion world and lifestyle world all over the world. It was exploding and everybody hated it, you know, being named or being putting into this movement because it was maybe too popular. And if something gets too much in the spotlight, the innovative and, and good people are not interested anymore. So on the highest point of this Electro Clash thing, I stopped releasing this kind of music because I thought I'm I'm somewhere else already. We did this in 98 and in 2002 I'm, I'm somewhere else already. I'm, I'm going to follow the sign and the magic of a new, a, a new sound coming out of New York called um, uh, bands like called uh, like LCD Sound System and Rapture and there was a guy putting out a lot of good stuff in England Trevor Jackson on his label and it was very strong movement I, I even don't have a name for it well, like dance rock music suddenly became popular again and like one year ago you in 2001 you were thinking it's not possible that I gonna play a track with a guitar sounding mm. sound inside and suddenly this New York no wave sound jumped out everywhere and um, I was totally fascinated by them and I, I followed I followed that sign moving to New York again and work with people like James Murphy and uh, all this like innovative um, singer and producer and so I went back to New York and and um, when Electro Clash was on their highest level but I was just not interested anymore but nowadays I, I think it's great that you were part or even like behind the movement and, and pushed the bands behind that and uh, and and did something for maybe the music history books you know I'm, I'm I see it differently now in 2013 and uh, I'm happy that I, I pushed it and I pushed all these artists and becoming famous and uh, and uh, we did something specially for the scene and I felt now Nowadays, a lot of DJs get into that vibe again, you know, like really great DJs get with like labels like Hot Creation or, you know, all this kind of producers and DJs, they're looking for something different, you know, they, it doesn't sound too differently what we did like back in the days. So I'm happy about that. And I also think that Gigolo was also kind of maybe blueprint for labels like Ed Banger or or Kitsune, you know, because they followed this kind of footsteps, really taking care of covers, putting a great live show, taking care of uh, unusual DJ sets and, and break the rules and do whatever you want. And I think Ed Banger and um, Kitsune really went a great way and went very successful with the same concepts that we had some years before. So I'm quite happy to... Uh, um, uh, was part of this um, movement and um, went maybe the right way. And what was um, the inspiration for the Electro Clash thing? It was a natural process. It, it, it popped out everywhere, all around the world. And I was like, wait a second, there is something happening. You know, it's like, it's like sounding different. It's like song structure, people doing real songs with vocals and... Um, not influenced by the hard techno movement or whatever happened before they really influenced by maybe pop music and uh, and just create a new style of maybe 80s influenced kind of music and uh, and and really putting a live act together and performing live on stage and um, getting away from this DJ culture it was pretty much controlled by DJs already there and just do their thing and, and not be afraid of of not getting played from other DJs. What I, you know, it was like a very strong sign from everywhere. People from Australia, a lot, of, a lot of people from New York, people from France, from Berlin. So I just collected them and, and said, let's do something together and let's give it a name. So and what I did. Was the, what was like the catalyst of the whole thing like was was there um you know what made everyone find out about electro clash or um there was a festival in new york 
done by another guy and uh, I was the musical director for that and he was more getting the sponsors and the venues done and um, but suddenly he jumped into into my business and so I jumped out of that but he still I jumped out of the festival but he still did it but uh, I created already the name for it and so uh, then there was a lot of compilations like Electro Clash and and the press were loving it, you know, because there was a new movement and there were so many bands dressed like freaky or, you know, there was fashion designer jumping into into their live stage costumes with Miss Kitty and, you know, and Fisher Spooner and uh, all these other bands. And uh, it becomes something extraordinary and become even... The worst magazines you were not think about, ever talk to them, were reporting about this new movement. It was out of control, really out of control, because it was all over. I remember on the TV news, on every magazine you can think about it, nobody want to miss this special new thing, you know, so everybody was jumping on it. And it opened so many doors for a lot of artists and, and, and this kind of music. So but it was kind of out of control because suddenly the major companies were chomping on all the artists I found and mostly they took them, you know. So I knew I'm just like a guy finding them, pushing them, let them uh, go their way and then later on there will be a big company paying even a crazy amount of money for Fisher Spooner. And uh, so, but I, I was... I, I was okay with that, but I knew it. If something gets in, in a spotlight like that and they have a great live show, they have a great album, the major companies will jump on it. It mm -hmm. was the same with the Deutsche Welle. It was the same with punk music. It was the same with all kinds of movements. Mm -hmm. So it was the same with Electro Clash. I don't want to say it was a sellout or anything, but it was the same structure and same situation like with other movements so it seems like a natural phenomenon yeah it's a very natural phenomenon and uh, no one of the artists said i want to stick to my thing i'm not signing this big deal now i there was maybe bobby condos but he was not sorry but he was on chigolo but i i you know i, I did also stuff like early bobby condos or tuxedo moon you know because i thought this is also necessary and was at the same time when Electro Clash was popular. I was not going the business way and just focusing on that and putting an, another compilation, another act, sign a major contract. We signed a distribution contract that time with a, a company from uh, Berlin here. They moved from Hamburg to Berlin called Universal Records. But that was just like a, a distribution deal and a lot of people in the scene I think misunderstand it and didn't like it. They said, oh, Chigolo is selling out. They're signing mm. with the major companies. But what I did was just like saying, I want to give the, all these great artists and people a better opportunity to sell the music. Mm. There was never any compromise on any release or any remix even, you know. I, I really controlled every little detail. And if there was a remix, I'm not agreeing on it. I didn't release it, you know, and I did not allow to let the majors release it. So it was a distribution deal. It was a business deal, yeah, but for better distribution and more getting into the spotlight for the Chicolo artists. So um, you just kind of said how the same thing had, hap had happened with um, um, Deutsche Welle and punk and everything. Yeah. It just kind of made me think, um, so you've seen these movements kind of come through and um, since Electro Clash, has there been another one you know, as big or as significant as those? Yeah, I would say Minimal was a huge uh, movement after Electro Clash. But this magic that goes out from DFA that time and and uh, Trevor Jackson's label and maybe Chigolo Records never touched the German market as I was thinking, you know. I, I don't know. It's interesting that it was never as popular. I mean, it's still there, but it was never as big as it went worldwide you know so but uh i mean ed banger and kitsune they they did a lot of stuff like sounding like that and um there was this electro clash movement was is still there so somewhere and picked up by newer young guys now but they maybe don't think about this electro clash thing they just like that music so mm -hmm. i think the minimal 
a way for the big movement, but also this kind of formulas and structures were done already 10 years ago by people from Cologne or people from Berlin called uh, Studio One and around the compact family. They were very based on minimal music. I mean, Jeff Mills did a lot of concepts on minimal music on Axis and other labels and uh, Basic Channel and Chain Reaction was doing these concepts already in the mid-early 90s. Okay, it was a new digital version out of these concepts and formulas, but uh, uh, I don't think it was kind of totally pretty new, but uh, uh, it was hot and it, it was like never stopping till now, till we're talking. It's still around, you know, but I think this minimal movement was pretty much innovative in a way and jumped, the, fun, the good thing is it jumped into or it get a marriage with the house music and uh, even early Detroit kind of techno music mixed with the minimal music becoming a sound I would call it the sound of Berlin or the soundtrack of Berlin and it it's still it's still around now it's a mixture of early house music digital minimal music uh, concepts of disco and techno and wow it's I don't know what's the new name for it. I call it the minimal, um, or I call it the Berlin sound or Berlin house, you know, because people now say it's the deep house. But to me, deep house was a different understanding and uh, formula, original deep house. So if they call it deep house, I don't think it's deep house in that original meaning, but it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. whatever you call it. But uh, I play a lot of that stuff, you know, popular, like newer stuff of the so-called deep house scene and, But on the other side, there's a huge new techno movement coming up with the younger guys uh, everywhere and um, based on loop concepts and stuff. And it's pretty much powerful and really, 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 really innovative again, you know, because we had this loop area already using cycles on a vinyl in the mid 90s and playing only loops on three record tables and creating some, you know, putting the sequences on top and using some hi-hats from that record and some kick and snare from that record and create something unique, you know, it was more like a DJ thing using the loops and um, I think this is coming back in, in more like a techno direction and um, I don't know what's the wave of the summer, you tell me. I have no idea. <laughs> I, I just see there's so many great music. I buy so many music now every day uh, in the shops here on the internet on like what I get from other people or DJs and or, or sending in as a demo. It's so many great produced and, and innovative music out this at this moment. For the DJs, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. So that part never changed, you, you buying music like a maniac that, that never slowed down really on a different level i mean these days you just don't go to the record shops but i still go to the record shops because there's a lot of uh vinyl only stuff limited stuff and if i would not get the vinyl you know i went to a fornica in london and i bought so many amazing stuff i didn't found on the internet or let's say on beatport or on other possible download portal so um, I'm checking every possible sometimes I even download some YouTube uh, stuff I mean it's not sounding good but you can rework it in the studio and um, you do all your special DJ edits for hyping up your own DJ set and and you know it's looking for news and new material and, and old material remastered or redone by yourself with an edit it's It never stops, you know. True. Yeah, so at this point, I mean, um, you know, uh, you have this kind of classic label. You've done more than a dozen DJ mixes, a few albums. Um, do you feel like there's anything left that, that you haven't done that, that you really want to do or that you know, yeah, will satisfy you? I released a single in uh, two days, three days ago, 1st of July, and it's with a singer called Klaus Nomi. And uh, I never touched that opera electronic kind of area and uh, that was something new for me so that's why I did it and I think Klaus Nomi was an outstanding great innovative singer and um, person person he had an amazing personality and an unbelievable voice and the, the great thing when you get 
deep into his story. He's from Bavaria, moved to Berlin, and then went to New York. I did the same thing. You know, I was born in Bavaria, moved to Berlin, went to New York, and went back. So we have some similarity here. And uh, I was really inspired by him already in the early 80s, doing this opera, electronic kind of music. And so that was something new and uh, in my life and my teacher and producer world. So I get the rights of the original songs and did a new kind of version. And that's the new single. And it's it's out now. And that's a, that's a new area for me. I don't know where it, where, it, where this will take me. So uh, um, that's, that's something new and fresh for me. I don't want to repeat what I did already. So... Mm. Um, what's your next project after, after this mix? Do you think you have another album in the pipeline? There's some interview where you said maybe 2014, like you do one every five years. True, it's five years coming up, yeah. I had some tracks done, but it's based on another concept. And uh, I will release it, but not as an album. And you need a really kind of concept or or the right feeling for doing a new album and I had I talked to some people already but it's it's nothing we start now but it, uh, the only thing I can say is maybe it's going to be a techno album <laughs> no vocals it's going to be some vocals maybe but it, you know there's a lot of DJs nowadays they say I don't like if there's some vocals or voices in there I don't play the track it's not cool you know so whatever but so um, I was always into vocals, but I, I'm. I think the new album it will produced in Berlin. I can't tell you names, but I talk to them now, and it's they agreed on already doing a techno album. So I start over the, after the summer because they are on vacation now, and um, it's a, a, a some guys I was always dreamed about to work with them, and finally after tw- twenty years meeting these people. I kind of sit in the studio with them and do, I think it's going to be a techno album. Mm. 